0: Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to another episode of the What The Niche podcast. And as always, I am your host, Andrew Morris. Now before I jump into this week's episode, I have some exciting news. I started a website for the podcast this week, and it turned out fantastic. You can find that at whattheniche.net. All of the episodes and any news related to the podcast can be found on the site. I will also begin selling a few pieces of swag for the show starting within the next week. Some of those items will include stickers, buttons, t-shirts, and maybe some other things in the future. In an effort to negate some of the cost of hosting this podcast, I've also set up a Patreon for my listeners to donate. Feel free to give as much or as little as you like. Everything helps. You can find this on my website by simply clicking the donate button in the drop down menu on the mobile version or by clicking on the donate button at the top of the screen on the web version. And as always, please continue to share the podcast and I cannot express just how much I appreciate the continued support. Now it's on to this week's episode of What the Niche. In this week's episode, we will be discussing some of the heroes within the medical field, paramedics and EMTs. 911, what's
1: the address emergency? I need help. I'm in a car accident. I'm going to die if I don't get help. 27-year-old Kelsey Cummings called 911 Wednesday morning when her car crashed into a fence in Cedar Rapids. One of the pipes puncturing her car's grill, radiator, battery, and her pelvis. Please help me. My body's starting to shake. Yeah, I've got help for you, okay? But I'm just trying to get a better location for you. I'm on to Avenue. I'm very close to the back of the port.
0: Life is a precious gift. And oftentimes, people cruise along without appreciating their shiny, wrapped piece of the world. Before you know it, you find yourself teetering on the abyss of losing the battle against the unexpected. Your car blows out a tire and you're left careening into oncoming traffic. The knife slips while you're cutting vegetables for dinner. A slick spot on the stairs causes you to lose your balance. These things or any other number of possible unfortunate or catastrophic events can occur. And in the blink of an eye, the control of your universe wanes as you become an onlooker to a unique unfolding of a horrific story. In these moments, we come to a stark realization. So much is out of our control. And amidst these terrifying moments, it's easy to feel alone and helpless as you feel warm blood dripping down your face, or as you watch a loved one writhe in pain. During these moments, those who have chosen to peer into the face of other's nightmares, unblinking and unflinching, swoop in like marauders against the villains of the accident tribe, ready for the battle against the persistent grips of the unwavering unknown of the hereafter. And my appreciation for these noble protesters is beyond explanation, especially during the times of the COVID-19 pandemic. And those Grand Guardians still choose to continue to show up day in and day out.
1: More young people are also getting hit hard by the virus. Over the past 24 hours, there have been more than 34,000 new cases reported in the U.S. and more than 750 deaths. The CDC is now predicting 150,000 deaths in the country by July 18th. Right now, that number is 121,000.
0: Now, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont joins us live this morning. He is, of course, one of the three governors issuing that travel advisory, asking anyone visiting this tri-state area from those eight states where the cases are climbing to quarantine now for 14 days. One of those states seeing the most dramatic rise is Texas, and that is where our chief national correspondent, Tom Yamas, is this morning. Tom, good morning to you. You are in Houston, where the hospitals are now bracing for the worst. Cecilia, good morning. The governor here in Texas, saying the state is facing a massive outbreak right now we're in the city's medical center this is the largest medical complex in the world and again they are facing covid 19. just across the street from us is the children's hospital they are now admitting adult patients as cases here are moving in the wrong direction listen i'm not here to debate the validity of all the information associated with the covid 19 crisis I'm not equipped to do so, nor do I have the energy. But the video here merely demonstrates the information which is known to us at present. And I know it can feel as though the scientific community changes their stances on this event daily, which is likely due to this being an unprecedented event in human history. There are no manuals for how to handle a pandemic during the most globalized time in human history. Thus, it is my thought to take the simple precautions asked of you and to be mindful of how your actions affect others. I hope people can simply listen and consider the things we discuss in this episode. And this brings me to my guest today, who is a member of the heroic group of paramedics who continue to battle the tough outcomes of the COVID virus and all the other scary things which can happen to any person at any time. My guest is Mike Colley. He is a father, husband, black belt in jiu-jitsu, and sarcasm, <laughs> and an overall awesome dude. In our chat, we discuss the difficulties associated with being a paramedic and a health professional as a whole. We also discuss the very real issue associated with the COVID-19 crisis. Mike speaks with unabashed competence and shares what he knows to be the truth. I hope you enjoy this honest and thoughtful conversation between two old buddies.
1: Uh, My name is Mike Colley. I'm a paramedic for New Chapel Fire Department. I've been in EMS almost 20 years now. I've been a paramedic for over 10 years of that. I work in a 911 uh, capacity but yeah, I do that, and uh, like I said, I do nine one one. So I do that, but I also work for St. Vincent in a hospital in Indianapolis, where I do critical care transport as well. So two different uh, aspects of EMS.
0: Right on. Um, and you and I know each other from um, Derby City Mixed Martial Arts. Uh, I've known yes. you for a number of years. Uh, I got to watch you climb your way through the ranks, and you know, make your way to black belt, which is an awesome accolade, uh, more recent. Uh, that's pretty phenomenal. I was really excited for you brother. Um, and I knew that, um, once I started doing this, that I was going to want to talk to people who are doing exactly what you're doing. Uh, we talked a little bit about this and I told you to save it for the podcast. Uh, he actually had an encounter, uh, with somebody uh, who is a naysayer about the COVID-19 crisis and so on and so forth. Uh, I think we'll probably get into that a little bit later. Um, but I like to start these conversations by asking individuals because I think we're all, we all encounter these. I know myself as an educator, uh, I've talked about those things a lot with myself and other educators. Uh, but misconceptions, what are some things that people assume about you uh, because you a, are an EMS person, a paramedic, uh, specifically you work with 911 calls. What are some things that people assume about you that you could maybe put a kibosh on?
1: I don't know. I think the the main thing is a lot of people don't understand the difference between EMT and paramedic. <laughs> and uh I don't, actually. Exactly. So I'm interested. Exactly. So you're dumb. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Let me tell you let me tell you why. <laughs> um uh, paramedic is a degree. Um, and the best way to put it in the most basic of terms is um if you know that you know what a nurse practitioner is and you know what a physician's assistant is okay that's basically what a paramedic is um so in an emergency field in an emergency situation there is i do a lot more advanced life-saving techniques um i intubate i defibrillate i cardiovert and if drugs need to be pushed, I push drugs. Start IVs. I can do cricothyrotomies in the field, meaning you know, cut, put a tube, um, needle decompressions for collapsed lungs. I mean, the list really goes on and on and on. So we essentially we operate as a doctor basically in the most basic of terms it's just the easiest way to explain it in the field whereas an emt is known as bls and that's basic life support and they can do quite a bit but you know when it comes to let's say somebody's in a cardiac arrest you're gonna want a paramedic there you know because they need an advanced airway so they need to be innovated they need an IV because they need epinephrine pushed and then a whole myriad of of other life saving drugs that you're gonna push into it that I can literally go down the list because I'm every time I even talk about cardiac arrest, like my ACLS protocols like jump into my head and I start running through it. Um, and you also have to be certified in ACLS, which is advanced cardiac. Life support, and then you also have to have another certification. So you have to study, go through another course, and get certified in pediatric advanced life support. And so there's a lot and lot of training that goes into it. And um, and a lot of people and a lot of people don't know that uh, and don't know this, but tech, but actually, uh, we are a higher level of care than a nurse. And, um, So there's that nurses uh, there's some nurses like in ERs can operate on protocol standing orders and do quite a bit most of the time nurses can operate without um, written orders but also when it comes to physical skill set nurses can't innovate they can't defibrillate without orders they can't cardiovert without orders um, but at the same time, like I can do a lot of emergency skills, but I can't sit there and go through a lot of, um, lab values and be able to tell you what a great course of action is to take care of that patient long-term, whereas a nurse can. So they're more on the long-term side, whereas I'm on the got you 20 minutes, try to get you back to life and I'm gone once I get you dropped to the hospital. So, a little different worlds. So, how do you deal with the stress of
0: that? I mean, you know, you are a lot of times in that situation, that person's, you know, best hope for survival in, in that duration of that 20 minutes. Is is there a way to... Did I know that lots of things that you can do in life, there's not real ways to really prepare for that. Do you feel like when you first went into the field that you were prepared at all for that first situation like that
1: um i came out of the marine corps before i went into ems that's true um and and also honestly i started young um i started when i was 16 as a lifeguard uh which is not like it prepared me to give me all these skills but you know i had pulled people out of the pool i had had choking victims i had had cpr on one patient but you know so i had a little bit of experience and i had dealt with some stuff when i um when i was in the core and then you know you go into you know emt you have to be an emt first of course that's to your first step before you work your way up and finish uh, with paramedic, and it like seeing the stuff that never bothered me. It was kind of like it's kind of like when you first start jiu-jitsu and you have to get over the, touching people, yeah. <laughs> being very close into their space. Um, it was more like I uh, it was like you need a little kick in the tail, and then you're like, oh, okay, I got it, I got it. So it's cool if I do this, you know, cause you're looking around at family and you're like, so you guys are, you're cool. If I start just, you know, touching your family member here and, <laughs> you know, so it, I think that was like overcoming that was, you know, you get, you have to get really used to doing that. And that was tough. um, like first week though i i'd had so many bad runs in my first week as an EMT that i just was like ah okay no problem i got this and really they just don't give you very much training on how to deal with any of the stress at all
0: and you wonder if it's possible if they can You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say because I mean, it is all just training and regardless of how real they can make a training feel, you still know it's training. So, right.
1: Right. And that's the thing is you're not going to know how you're going to handle it until you have to actually deal with it. And luckily I guess for most people, I'm really weird in the head and it doesn't bother me at all.
0: So, you kind of stole the next thing I was going to ask you is that there had ever been. So with that being said, is there anything that's ever shook you?
1: No, not really. <laughs> I've had some bad shit, but uh and I mean, you know, and that's the thing is you'll get some people in EMS. And if they see this, um, I'm not sorry. You'll get a lot of these people that are like, Oh, you know, Thank me for my service. Um, You know, I, I hate that. Just, you know, can it with that shit. You know, you, you know what you got into and I'm not saying bad stuff won't happen. That won't bother you. That's everybody that that happens to everyone at some point. And I just can't stand the whole thank me for my service movement. I mean, seriously, you know, that's it, it's hard to explain. It they go and do and see and work, okay, and then they act like they've seen some shit that shook them and they've only been on the job for like two weeks. And you've got this weird ass movement going on in EMS nowadays, um, where like, uh, it, like having PTSD is a thing like, like, you know, Oh, I got PTSD. I, uh, I saw a stillborn baby once. It's like, Oh, okay. You understand. It's not one thing that happens that causes that it's, you know, multiple things stacked up upon each other usually it takes a lot of a while. Now you could say that this one thing happened and shook me and I don't know if I want to come back to work, but you know, it really is weird. It's, it's a, it's a world unto itself. And that's the thing that bothers me. So it's like, cause I think about how I've seen a lot of things and some pretty bad stuff and, um, how it doesn't really, bother me and I'm just like man am I really just that messed up or are all these people just frauds and I'm willing to bet a lot of them are fraudulent and just you know they they say that they have more problems than what they have or if they have any at all so they can kind of get that attention because they want people to you know, look at what they do and be like, oh my God, how they go on, how they will go to work every day. And you're a hero. And it's like, yeah, that's not how it is. I
0: I can, I think I see some of where you're coming from. Uh, And of course I don't have an intimate experience with this at all. So my reference point is going to be different than yours, but I think that, you know, you, you mentioning the fact that, you know, um, that you were in the Marines, you were also a, a wrestler from an early, early point in your life. And, and if anybody knows a wrestler or has wrestled, it's probably the most, uh, physically and mentally grueling thing that I've ever had to do, especially when this guy that I'm talking to right now is leading the class, uh, cause he is so headstrong, not a bad thing. It's a great thing to have in a coach because he always pushed us to the breaking point And then about 17 steps beyond that. Um, So it did make us better. But I think you having that background definitely gives you probably, A, an advantage in the field because you're going to be the guy that I want to show up, you know, not to blow smoke up your ass, but knowing that most things aren't going to bother you. Yeah, you're the dude I want to show up. And I don't want the dude uh, or chick to show up who has her phone in their hand and today's a crazy day. Look at this. And I feel like maybe what you're talking about is a product of that shit. Um, The thing that kind of bugs me, and I do appreciate acts of kindness. I really, really do. Uh, And our coach, uh, Nick Albin, and I have had this conversation. I don't think he'll mind if I drop this because he would talk about it. Um, Is that people want to be charitable, but they only want to be charitable if they're getting recognition for it. And I think that same that same thing probably correlates to what you're talking about here. It's like, well, I'm doing good things every day, and yes, you are. You're not wrong. Uh, you are, and every other EMT and paramedic are doing great things on a daily basis. Awesome, I appreciate you. Um, but yeah, like you said, it shouldn't be one of those things where like you're self-aggrandizing a little bit. Like you're like, look at me, like I'm awesome, or uh, and I'm not hating. I mean, if you need that constant uh, self reassurance and that constant positive affirmation, that's probably indicative of something else. You know, maybe you know not to get too like, you know, psychoanalyzing here. But a lot of times, maybe they didn't get any recognition in the home or whatever. There's a lot of reasons that could that could be a thing. But I think it could be, you know, can honestly probably kind be kind of dangerous in your field if that's what you're worried about. And your focus isn't let's let's figure out what's going on with this person right now, rather than like I can't wait to tell everybody about this later. It's
1: gonna be so great, right? Yes, that's so. And I think, and I don't know because it's like with me, I'm just like uh, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just like I just want to nap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess being calculated, you know, in those situations, like I said, it's probably the person you want there—the person who's like. Um. Yeah. Let's let's be in this moment. Let's figure this out. You know, is unfazed. They're like, they show up on the scene, and somebody's intestine is laying next to him on the the expressway, and you just look at it and you go, okay, well that should not be there. Uh, <laughs> or you know, That's the first thing you gruesome. Uh, but you know, it sounds like you would handle that situation okay, and rather than somebody's like, oh my god. Um, yeah, it's I,
1: actually called an abdominal evisceration. <laughs>
0: That sounds like a death metal band.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Um, Coming up to the Battle of the Bands at the Carl Casper's Custom Auto Show. (laughs) (laughs) Dominantly,
0: it's (laughs) a great (laughs) show. Yeah, be great. Um, But yeah, dude, it's um, and I don't know how the hell do you create somebody that is? I, I don't understand how somebody like you exists. Um, I really don't, because, I uh, I consider myself an empath, you know, I, I care, you know, and I'm not saying you don't care. Um, but being able to like turn those, those things off and just have this tunnel vision. Um, I guess it, a lot of it comes to your Marine training and things of that nature where, you know, you've been kind of built down and brought back up the way that they wanted you. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, So has there ever been a situation that you found yourself wanting to step away? Has it ever been too much?
1: The job has never been too much. It's usually like the company where I'm working for. Um, EMS is the redheaded stepchild of the first responders. And they're the ones that are used the most. I mean, people call for an ambulance constantly. You'd be amazed what people call an ambulance for. And, I mean, think of the dumbest thing you can in your head. And I guarantee you, I've been on that.
0: You would think they would think twice about it because what is the average ambulance uh, ambulance call, 700 bucks, something like that, something crazy.
1: Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. Falls under the same uh, guidelines as a hospital. So we have to treat you. We can't yeah. just say no. Yeah, you know, you call nine one one, police are going to show up, fire department is going to show up, EMS is going to show up. Don't mean you have to pay your bill.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: That's should, probably that it up. Our, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So, you know, uh, no, but companies I worked for have been horrendous because EMS is the only thing that you can have a private company in. You know, right. you can have a private police department and a private fire department, you know. But you can't have private EMS because the money is made in transfers, going taking people from interfacility transfers, going from hospital to hospital or taking meme off from the nursing home to dialysis and then taking her back. That's where the money's at. Medicare, Medicaid, you know, that's money. There's no money in nine one one. So for it to be provided, most counties don't even have a municipality to do it. They contract a private company and give them a stipend to do it. And then uh, usually a condition of that stipend is they're also allowed to do convalescent transports within that county because you need what's called a certificate of necessity in order to do that. And you have to be a primary care provider in that county to get that certificate. So, you get that certificate. You get some money from the county, um, and then you make money off billing patients, doing interfacility transports in that county. The only bad part is, is most of the time the nine one one side is what's going to suffer because the money is going to be made first, and then if you have a truck available, you're going to take that nine one one run. The only problem is, is that most of the time, like you can get. You have dispatchers that are idiots and are taking in running your resources then because, oh, well, the boss says we got to make this money. And then you don't have any trucks available providing 911 coverage to your county. And this has happened and it's happened recently in a county that I work for. Uh, I work for a different district in that county, but I've had to take over for another company my fire department had to go and cover and take a couple 911 runs out of the different part of this county because the other part of the county is contracted out privately. And they were too busy doing a transfer to go to a gunshot. And that's the state of EMS in this country. So for people that think that it's provided, uh, by their county or by their state because it has to be they're wrong actually EMS is the only thing and you can look this up in any any of your local government paperwork EMS is the only thing that does not have to be provided No, fire and police are the only requirements and for the longest time the fire department ran EMS so it was a given but a lot of fire departments got away from that because it basically will bankrupt you. And so now you may or may not have EMS coverage. Most of the time you do, but you'll see that if it's not a local municipality, you're probably getting it from a private company. And that private company is going to be putting somebody else before you.
0: And it's, it's always shocking to me that that the civil servants in the country are so underappreciated, you know, and that, that goes into many sectors, police officers. When I learned that uh, LMPD, the starting pay is $32,000 for a starting Mm -hmm. LMPD officer. And uh, I don't know what the starting pay is for EMT, but if I had to guess, it's probably not great, right? Or paramedic. Well, you would start as an EMT, right? So
1: EMT starting pay, um, even nowadays, a lot of places, most places, some other places, it's a lot better. But locally, locally, I can tell you uh, what each pace, what each place pays. And um, let's see, in Indiana, the two local places will start you, will start an EMT at like ten bucks an hour. <laughs> and,
0: yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So the guy Panera bread, and I'm not crapping on the guy Panera bread. Um, that that's all well and good. So support yourself, but the guy who's showing up on scene to maybe you know try and keep you alive, no big deal. Uh, <laughs> I don't Make have jack
1: shit money.
0: I- oh yeah. I literally have no words for that. And I know that's bad for a podcast, but what can I say to that? That's insane.
1: And there's other companies. Um, and I won't throw names out of the company, but they are doing a great job and I do work for them part time, um, in Indianapolis, but, um, they really take care of you pay wise, but they're a, a large private and they're actually the largest private company in the world. So there's a hint. <laughs>
0: So Google, you work for Google or Amazon? Uh, close, close. (laughs) The Koch brothers.
1: (laughs) I used to know those guys. I didn't know they were Colombian. It was so weird. (laughs) I think we just called them the Koch brothers, honestly.
0: (laughs) I think I saw that show on Netflix. You were that crazy guy. I remember that. Yeah, Um, that was me. (laughs) So I would be, um... Selling myself short, I've had someone uh, with your experience right now uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, Corona-geddon, as I've been so lovingly calling it. Um, if I didn't ask you what your experiences have been with that, like, what are you seeing? What insights can you give uh, really being truly on the front line.
1: Um I've had a lot um especially on the critical care side when I'm doing those transports uh I've had several with the uh, COVID-19 and uh, a lot uh, the the worst cases I'm seeing are people who are and a lot of people are saying this they're already immunocompromised these people are immunocompromised I, i've had patients that are 24 and 25 years old and they have to be innovated um because you know they didn't really get take care of it as soon as they should have no don't get me wrong they they did have some medical problems but those medical problems didn't really translate into going into respiratory failure. And that's what um COVID-19 does. It's you know, it's a coronavirus. It's of the corona family. So it's like SARS or MERS or Ebola. So if you look at it, if you look at the actual virus itself, you know, the little ball with all the spikes on it. Um the spikes are what give it the name Corona. The That's the name of the spikes on the virus. They're called Corona. The Corona, it infiltrates the respiratory system. It infiltrates and attacks and gets into um, those cells of the respiratory system. It, it's That's what those spikes are for so then it goes in and causes you know that's what it does it attacks the respiratory system that's why it's such a horrible horrible disease and as you can imagine it's going to attack people that are COPD patients Um, not so much asthma depending on the severity of your asthma Um, congestive heart failure uh, you know things like that people that are already going to have a respiratory problem and can develop pneumonia quickly those are the worst cases I've seen. Um, now, in just regular, normal, healthy adults, you know, hey, being on the front lines, I have coworkers that have caught it. And they were right back to work two weeks later, totally fine. Um, some less time than that. Swab positive, and then in a week, swab negative. So there's different, um, severities of it that, that you can get, you know, like anything else, you know, like, Oh man, I had the flu and it was horrible. And it's like, Oh, Oh, well I guess I did too, but it was like 24 hour bug. So there's going to be different severities of, of this disease. And it really like anything else in the world, it's, really kind of depend on the already the pre-existing health conditions of that person like anything else you know a lot of people have been going around they talk about oh my gosh it's already the death toll has already exceeded um you know the, the death toll of Vietnam uh, in 2017 uh so did the flu you know um h1n1 is still extremely dangerous um You know, they're still uh, in the Congo, I believe it was last year, they just released their final patient that they were treating for Ebola. And that had been years since we discovered a way to actually treat it. And they just, just released them. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of bad things out there. I think media does trump it up because it's... something new, something new, something different. It's scary. Um, They're saying it's killing so many people and, you know, it's my, in my opinion has always been, you know, it, it doesn't kill you. You don't die from COVID-19. You die with it. Mm. You know what you already had was probably killing you. This just put, you know, this just accelerated that. Or, you know. And most of the people that I've seen dying from it have had a lot of pre existing conditions. And they usually didn't take too good care of themselves anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's that's kind of where what I've been seeing is. So, where.
0: Where do you think the uh, the media fervor is coming from? You know, the all the excitement. Do you think it's it's warranted that we're taking the actions that we're taking? Uh, because this is an airborne um, thing that it's passed on through the spittle, as you know, Doctor Fauci. We keep saying, um, <laughs> is this course of action is it is it being overly uh, safe, or is it is the right level of precautionary action?
1: I think we jumped on it too late. Honestly, I think it would have been the correct course of action had we acted sooner. You know, I I don't think it's wrong. I mean, uh, I've seen improvements. I've seen great improvements. I'm seeing a lot less patience with it. Um, and I mean, when it first kicked off, I mean, it was nonstop that, I mean, we had positive tested, positive POP patients. um, And that's on the critical, on the critical transport side. That's where they actually are getting tested. So we were, it was like every single patient. I had nights where I just barely took like my gown off and put on another and got another patient. It was nonstop, like 12 hours straight. You know, sixteen hours straight. It was nonstop, and now the numbers have really slowed. We and I can only speak for this system, um you know, for this city, and and the way they've handled it. But you know, we they they came up with a system and a place to put the patients that had it, and a way to treat them, and you know to move them to different locations so that they were in places that were like basically clean hospitals and then covid hospital and i th- i feel like had we jumped on it a lot sooner and start taking these precautions that um you know the curve i guess would already be flat but i but i do see improvement and it, and it has improved tremendously we're seeing a lot less patients come in with it uh a lot less patients are testing positive for it right now um so so i what we're doing is working but i like i said i feel like had we jumped on it earlier and started that earlier we wouldn't have seen a spread like we I mean, we're going to still see a spread don't get me wrong but we wouldn't have seen it of of the magnitude that we that we've seen it
0: so do you do you think that's attributed to like people not believing the severity uh of what of how quickly it could spread? I mean, was there from your you know, of course oh, yeah. I know that you're not an expert on these things, but can any of us be an expert on all of this? But to me, it just felt like they doubted, you know, just how quickly and exponentially this could spread. Do you think was that what basically you saw?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely, and I mean, that and there is people that were like not understanding actually how it could spread, you know, thinking, oh, well, you know, touch was fine as long as I'm doing this, or, you know, it doesn't spread this way, it's not airborne, or it's only, uh, you know, sputum. Or, you know what I mean, like there's, so there was a lot of, um, and those are just really poor examples, but there was a lot of people just not understanding exactly how easily it could be spread or how, you know, a lot of people, they were like, don't touch your face, don't touch your face, which apparently I touch my face all the damn time. So <laughs>
0: Yeah. And so you're thinking about it, you're like, fuck, I didn't realize I did this this much. For me, it seems as though, um, and Sam Harris had talked about this. Uh, he's a neuroscientist. I'm not sure if you um, check out his podcast or whatever, but uh, he has one called uh, Sam Harris. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a podcast called Making Sense, and it's it's awesome. He's very dry. Really? you would love him. (laughs) He didn't give a shit who he offends, not like in a confrontational way, but he's just very so direct. Uh, He's like a damn robot of information, Uh, but he was talking about, it seems as though we need a unified force of information that people trust uh, globally Mm -hmm. because something like this is so globally connected, uh, you know, where we have, uh, disinformation, which we know now. Uh, I am sorry, China, but uh that is what happened. You you kinda lied to us for a while. Um
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. A communist country lying to us. Say what? That so doesn't happen. This this this
0: podcast is so provocative. Um <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it, it becomes down to like needing a unified unified group. I mean, we have the World Health Organization, but it seems as though everybody was so reluctant because of the fact that they were so easily duped um, by the fact that it was going on for months in China. So we need I feel like we need somebody with a little bit more oversight into how these things are happening because as we're seeing, we're probably going to lose hundreds of thousands of more people uh, and lives because of the fact that people weren't following instructions on a global scale
1: oh yeah oh yeah and and, yeah and I can definitely agree with that and it would be nice it would be nice if there was something like that but the only problem is that that I see with this is communication on every end and you know that's that's the main problem China lied for a reason, you know, it, it was to, it's to their own personal gain, but they lied for a reason, you know, this is being going on. Right. I mean, you know, they, they already knew what this was called in Ghana. You know, they're like, God, oh, it's for eating bushmeat. Bush meat. And it's like, Oh, Oh really? And, and you know, that's, you know, that's the thing, and you know, it's they lied to cover up because they are a communist country, and it's oh, we don't make mistakes, yeah. We look, look at it, we'll, we'll give you the numbers, and then the numbers were skewed by how much, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and the thing is, is had they communicated that way earlier, you know, and, and appropriately. You know, we could have put an end to this pandemic. It could have, there'd be people alive in Italy. There, you know, there's, there needs to be that communication, you know, and because of, and be, not just because of, you know, oh, it's China or, or how it makes them look, but you have to think of, you do have to think about the little guy in, in this situation. You have to think about places like Sierra Leone where there is like, three doctors uh, and, and I'm just paraphrasing off of something I read. Um, I get bored and I read weird statistics. Um, there's roughly like, it was like three doctors to every uh, or two doctors to every like 3,000 something person, people. So there's like, I think they said in the entire country at one point there was maybe 20 doctors. And then I believe when it was SARS was going through seven of them died. Seven of the doctors. I mean, so you have, you know, you think about that. It's like, had they been communicated with, you know, and, and had that opportunity, you know, number one, they wouldn't be dead, but you know, you have to think about it as as a world, as a whole. You know, you're going to have these small places, and you know, you have to look out for them. You have to say, you know, this place can be heavily affected, and they don't have the resources that we have, so this could wipe out an entire population. You know, and it, yeah, that's 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 what is mind boggling because look at how we're struggling with it in places where we do have the funds and the means and the doctors and, and you also got to also, you, you also have to kind of be a little bit positive, I guess, if you can be and think, well, at least it came out of China. And by that, I mean, what if it would have came out of the Congo? how long would it take in for us to get any information about it or find out about it at all?
0: Ah, yeah, that's a good point.
1: You know, and there's, there's third world countries where, you know, we, it could have been spread throughout their whole country. We wouldn't have known about it and, and it would have hit us and we still wouldn't have even known what we were dealing with.
0: Yeah, that's that's usually how all the movies go,
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. There's Patient Zero, and he was bit by you know some animal I've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: some breed of monkey that you never. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. It's like, oh, it's a Tibetan mountain monkey. It's <laughs> yeah, like, you're oh, like, shit! Cool.
0: I've seen two of those. Neat. Okay.
1: I saw that once. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, they carry this disease, man. If they bite you. You turn into a werewolf.
0: <laughs> Man, but then, and
1: then you eat your family. It's great. And then you rot from the inside out and die slowly in a pool of acid. No big deal. Uh, no big deal. You've got 30 minutes to carry it.
0: <laughs> 30 minutes. And the, the, all of a sudden a timer comes off above your head. Where the fuck did that come from? What is that? Right. The music starts. Going, dum, 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 dum. What is happening? Absolutely. Yeah. That's
1: how I want my life to be. But in a good way. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, I like to come back to a point uh, that you made because Tim Neal brought up this very thing. And, um, He's on another podcast, and you guys absolutely have to listen to it. Really interesting guy, a mutual friend of my, uh, me and Mike. Um, but he, had I mean, I would, about-
1: I would listen to him, but he's out of his mind.
0: <laughs> there are – we all have our, our moments. But uh, he had lived in China, and he had talked about that open food market um, and some of the things that they had in that market, and he talked about – not just that, he was talking about public transport and animals and public transport. He said, he, A, you have to fight to get on public transportation, and then when you're jammed in so tight that you couldn't move, you had to fight your way out for your stop. Well, he's like, I would be standing next to a person who had a chicken in a cage and a, next to another person who had uh, turtles in water for their food that they were taking home. And he's like, those are common. He's like, you go to that food market and you do see things like that. And he's like, you wouldn't believe some of the things that you see. And he's like, it appears there's no real regulation uh, into what they're doing there. And these comments and these criticisms have been made just beyond that. And at what point, if China is somewhere that's so worried about the image of the state, at what point do they go, okay, we got to close this shit down? because it's obviously problematic, you know, and we have an FDA. I know our FDA isn't perfect, but it's a start. It's better than saying, well, just do whatever you want to do. Uh, Jimmy, go ahead and throw your bad day to that oblate. It's going to be fine. Um, so <laughs> at some point, somebody has to step in and say,
1: all well, right. I mean, have you, the- ever, have you ever heard of the uh, National Filth Allowance? No. Oh, really?
0: No elaborate
1: well there is a uh there's a certain amount of things that are allowed to be in your food during prepackaging. Hmm. and on the list is like rat hairs wings from flies flies etc and this is like things that are allowed to like be in your candy or in your food it's the national dose allowance
0: so what percentage are we talking here
1: it really depends on what the food is, but you can actually look it up. The Delph allowance? The National Filth. Filth. Allowance.
0: Oh, Filth. filth. Okay, it came through a little unclear. National Filth allowance. I'm going to look that up. That's Look it up. Banana sandwich. Um, <laughs> very worrisome,
1: to say the least. Oh, yeah. Huh. You can have all kinds of uh, awesome stuff in your food that's allowed. <laughs> Yeehaw. Well, I know that
0: uh, I would mentioned this earlier, so we have to bring it back up. We have a certain other mutual friend um, who had engaged in, you know, and we're not here, like, this guy's a great guy. He really, really is. Like, in person, one of the coolest, friendliest, nicest dudes on the planet. And also a certifiable badass. Black belt in jiu-jitsu as well. Great dude. dude. But... Um, his online presence, and I don't even know if it's real. I just God, I find it hard to believe he believes some of the stuff that he posts uh and I'm not here to see- I've
1: actually brought it up to him like physically and and he'll yeah. just like sit there and like smile and kind of like laugh laugh about it and I'm just like are you are you just fucking with everybody?
0: He's a troll it has to be I don't know but-
1: I feel like he is.
0: <laughs> You have to share your recent exchange because it does relate, uh, to the COVID-19 to the crisis.
1: COVID-19, yeah. Yes. I, oh my gosh. So, um, he, I can't, God, I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but he, he said, um, oh, do you really think that standing six foot, uh, apart from each other is really going to help? And, and, um, So he says, uh, he, he goes on to talk about how the numbers are all completely false and basically the government's lying and (laughs) and, uh, you know, there's not that many people, uh, actually dying and that's not the truth. And, um, I was just like, okay, you know, I actually, you know, I, I do know the numbers. Um, there are factual sites that we as first responders do go to, to, to get the, the toll actually to get the amount of people that are sick and the amount of people that are dying. And there's a place that we go to that we go state by state. And so I was like, no, we, we actually do know. And you know, we do keep a pretty good eye on that, man. And, uh, he kind of went on, down his rabbit hole of, uh, you know, they were, they were trying to pass off mannequins as code patients. And I, I, uh, Jade Helm. Uh, right. So, so, uh, a lot of the, uh, me included, but a lot of us went on a theme of deployment to New York, uh, recently. And,
0: is that when you posted the picture of the the sores that the mask had made around your face because you've been wearing it so long? Was that during that
1: stint? It probably.
0: Yeah, that I'm, was dude, rough dude.
1: I'm, I'm still getting them, but <laughs> probably. Uh but so you know, and and I was just like, dude, you know, let, let me tell you a little something about the numbers. <laughs> you because know, he's saying it's not basically it wasn't real and it wasn't the numbers I was like let me tell you about where we're stacking bodies right now Um, we're putting them in uh, refrigerated semi trailers because the morgues are full there's a parking lot that is actually watched by the cops 24 hours a day and the people that don't know what that is you can look it up it's uh, in Brooklyn and that's where we're taking bodies and putting them and it's in the thousands thousands and thousands and you're they're literally having to stack them up on each other in those trailers and it's not the most you know it's not the best thing in the world but if they're positive for covid that's where they're going And that's how many, and it's been thousands. There's hundreds of trailers, and you can fit hundreds of people in one of those trailers. So that's where we're stacking them. And, you know, I was like, you know, it'd be different if I hadn't seen it. You know, I go, usually, I guess, I guess usually it doesn't really strike a nerve. But when you're sitting there saying you know, this isn't real, this is exaggerated. It's like, yes, it is exaggerated. It's exaggerated the opposite way of what you're thinking. It's more, the number is higher than what you're thinking. You know, they're not lying about that, it's less. I promise the number that we're actually getting is higher. We, you know, cause we haven't got everybody reported yet. We don't have everybody turned in yet. We don't have every name turned in, you know, so they're still, you know, we're still accounting for thousands and thousands of people that have yet to be, you know, you know, turned into the system. And
0: and there's probably some people that I know a couple doctors and things that I've read have mentioned this, that there's uh, probably situations where it's been misdiagnosed or there wasn't a recognition of COVID-19 because they didn't have a reason to suspect that. Uh, Right. They don't test. Right. And then COVID-19 right. had come in. And like, as you mentioned before, people aren't really dying of it, but it's sort of compiling. It's all these things building upon exactly. each other that really puts the system at, at certain risk. And they go ahead and, you know, pass away from all those things compiled together. So who right. knows?
1: and And at the time, I mean, now we have rapid tests that we can do that take hours, which is great because we were doing it and it was taking days. Yeah. So, when all this first started, you had a test that would take days and days. Well, you have a patient that passed away. There's no point in swabbing them to see what that was or if they had it because we didn't have enough tests. Yeah. You know, we were running so low, and you're only, you're only using those tests on people that were really high risk. So, um, And I saw this in several uh, emergency rooms was – If you're young enough, healthy enough, uh, they would say, just assume that you have it, go home, quarantine in place and two weeks, you know, we'll see if you're better because we can't afford to use these tests and just use them when we need them. And that's been the case all around the world. So there's cases that didn't get called that, you know, like, oh, they had COVID when they died. We don't know. Probably. So we don't, but there's a lot of cases where we just don't know.
0: Do you think that lack of tests it falls upon uh, political pandering and pol- political bickering to where we didn't get the decisions made in a timely fashion, so that we could put out enough tests, or do we not have the capability to put them out fast enough? What is the? What do you think that is that issue?
1: I think that we just weren't prepared for a pandemic. Yeah, you know, I I don't, but also who is you know <laughs> yeah, the,
0: that's true this is like worst case scenario
1: right uh, i think we handled it in, we've been handling it in the best way we possibly could and it's frustrating at times to need an n95 and i can't get it because um you know meemaw bought up the last five boxes just in case <laughs> yeah that's, that's a little frustrating but at the same time you know you know, I, I, we're handling it the very best that we can on all fronts. You know, it's, it's rough because we're having to go, a lot of us first, we're having to go without a lot of the things to deal with that. But, you know, we're doing our very best. I, I think that the country as a whole you know, a lot of people want to be angry and say that we got caught with our pants down or we should have been prepared, but how the hell do you prepare for something you've never seen to, you know, and to fight it, you know, Oh, that you should have known, should have known what, that people are going to get sick. Right. The truth of the matter is, is this is not the last pandemic we're going to see at all. Yeah. That's with the way that
0: global travel is, you know, and, this, I just wonder, like, you know that we shouldn't go back to normal. Life is normal uh, after seeing all this. But it's like, at, at what point, you know, we talk about sporting events. And, and I know that, you know, sports aren't the be-all, end-all, and we can get by without it. But, you know, much like a huge percentage of the world, <laughs> I love sports. And I do yeah. want to go back to those arenas, and I do want to share those moments where, you know, I've been to yeah. the Elite Eight and seen a UK hit a basket. Seven seconds left. One of the greatest memories of my life. It was amazing. Uh, soccer games. I, I love the Louisville City Soccer. They opened a brand-new facility this year. they not played one God, game. It sucks. It sucks.
1: You're but, so extra.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but – I love soccer and drinking my <laughs> coffees. I do. Don't hate on me. Man. This is a no, podcast like. about inclusion, you hater.
1: <laughs> and I like uh, my UK basketballs.
0: It's always that guy. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah I'm,
1: <laughs> I am that guy.
0: Um, but, you know, you and they, a sport. concerts, concerts, maybe you can get on the unified front on that. Not really. Uh, <laughs> well, any of these events that lots of people outside of Mike, the dickish Mike, uh, well, I mean, like I feel like uh, you like
1: pay to go see like concerts of like Mumford and Sons.
0: Uh, I mean, I go to everything, man. You judgmental prick. <laughs> but I, I mean, say that lovingly. Okay. Uh,
1: I mean, I've seen Fleetwood Mac.
0: Hey, I would. I would dig that. That would be dope.
1: I uh, know. See, those people are legendary. I,
0: I don't disagree. Uh, I've seen exactly. Metallica, seen a lot of legendary bands. Megadeth. Oh, I'd like
1: to see them. I like yeah. to see Metallica.
0: They were great. Uh, yeah, you know but, what I
1: call Megadeth? I call right. them. Uh, I call them not Metallica.
0: <laughs> Metallica Light was what I was gonna go with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dave Mustaine. Not my. I'm not his biggest fan. <laughs> You're
1: like oh. it's that guy that used to be a Metallica.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the point I'm trying to get to is like these big events, like. You know, here in Louisville, we had the three big events that they do. Uh, If you guys aren't Mm -hmm. familiar, there's a guy who's been putting on a series of concerts uh, one weekend after the other. Uh, There's one called Bourbon and Beyond, one called Mm -hmm. Hometown Rising, uh, and another called Louder Than Life. Great events. The guy's doing a a wonderful job, doing a lot for the city. Uh, Really big Mm -hmm. fan. Uh, Danny Whitmire, I think is his name. Yes. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. And so it's like, do we... Should we continue to, to move on and start doing those things uh, and, and go to events where there are 40 and fifty thousand people or if you're going to a college football game, a hundred and five thousand people in an event? Is that something we could keep should keep doing? Like should we go back to life as normal when we know that this thing something like this could be looming and then boom, the world is completely changed. Maybe we get something with a higher mortality rate in the future, which is a very, uh oh yeah strong possibility. You know, oh, you, yeah. you get something like the movie Contagion, which watching that movie right now is terrifying, but I loved it because I like scaring the shit out of myself because it's really closely aligned to what's going on. Um but yeah. oh we, shit. Yeah, that movie's crazy. But do we go back to normal? What I mean
1: I don't think I don't think I don't think we can. I don't think uh, just people, you know. I don't think people individually can, you know, um, you, know, you have to think about it like this, you know, you and I right now, you know, as as kids get older, as our kids get older cuz they won't remember cuz they're too young or you know, generations that come after us be like, you know, I lived through the pandemic. You know, it may not ever happen again. So that's going to be something that's in the history books of there was a point in time where we shut everything down. There was no sport. There was no, you know, going out of your house because of pandemic. I mean, that was kind of like how it was when tuberculosis went through and, you know, the black plague. And I mean, you know, there were when Spanish that went flu
0: through, and yeah, there's a ton. Yeah,
1: tons. But
0: nothing like this. This is unprecedented. One time no, in 134 years, you know, as a, right. a reference point for the Derby, one time in 134 years, once was it ever changed? Was the date ever changed?
1: So well, once because time. your state's ran by a Democrat? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's throwing shade, but the numbers don't lie. Check the scoreboard. <laughs> we got like one fifth of the deaths and infections.
1: Just saying. Uh, co- according daddy, to who
0: daddy andy to the stats that they're putting out mike okay i, I can only tell you what i've seen all
1: right don't make me a like tony. You're making things up
0: don't make me a tony <laughs> dot 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 <laughs> we all know uh um, tony weezer gordon. <laughs> yeah tony weezer gordon yeah perfect um so yeah it's 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 a, something that's been in my mind like you know they talk about opening things back up and doing restaurants. They just uh,
1: released. We're opening back up Indiana.
0: Yeah, we are too. But just in a delayed version of what Indiana is doing, we're going to do something very similar where on, I think, yeah. the 11th, things are going to open up certain things. Restaurants at 33% capacity to the 25th, uh, hairdressers and other little bits can open back up. Oh, you can call
1: and get a haircut. That's nice. I need
0: it. Yeah, if you can see. Look at you. Yeah, that, then the hairline's receding. I won't need much of one, so it is what it is. Pretty soon I'll look no like you. I'll look like uh, a, you know, a small penis uh, soon.
1: It's gonna oh, be re- I mean, you'd be a badass, but all right. <laughs>
0: yeah, certifiable, bro. Certifiable.
1: Uh, yeah, I got a shaved head. Everybody laughs until I'm the only guy that can get a haircut. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's like, I got you. I got a razor in the bathroom. But
1: it's not yeah. even rusty this time.
0: <laughs> so I just wonder what life's going to look like. Do we stay at these reduced capacities forever? You know,
1: no, no absolutely not. And, and, and that's just because of commerce. Yeah, it's not going to happen. You know, it's it's going to get open. And everyone's crooked. It doesn't matter what party they're a part of. They're all crooked. Somebody's going to lube somebody's pocket with a little bit of cash to make sure that something gets opened. You yeah. know? Commerce. Commerce has to move forward. That's what keeps pushing this country, That keep, what keeps it driving. So things may be pushed a little bit early because of that. But, you know, and, and my thing is, and, and I agree, is... Just because everything opens back up doesn't mean you have to go do it. You know, that's, that's called freedom.
0: That's a great point. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really true. Uh, and for those, I have to address this. You talk about freedom. Those individuals, I, I got really upset. And there was this will, again will be somebody that you know. I'm not going to mention names, but he was at our gym, left the gym, and opened up his own gym. Nice guy. Great guy. But he posted something. It was the uh, railroad tracks. To Auschwitz and had said, uh, this is starting to feel more familiar. And I I'm kinda like you, especially on Facebook nowadays, like I don't have the energy to argue as much. I will post crazy shit and just kind of watch the drama unfold. Yeah. Um you've seen. Um but uh on this Wait, one Wait
1: opened I, his own gym or went and worked at another gym.
0: Opened his own gym. Yeah, I mean, now you're playing detective. I'll tell you after, um, but yeah, he had posted this thing and like made the comparison, and I just have to clarify this: um, you being asked to stay in your home because it's not going or it's going to help benefit others and not pass the disease, <laughs> but is that's the not thing. the same. Like, dude, like ten million Jews being killed versus you still being able to take your dog for a walk at the park. Uh, you still being able to leave your house, uh, still being able to go to the grocery. They just want you to wear a mask. Oh, no. You have to wear a mask in your face and not even have to. They're asking, asking, not telling. <laughs> There's not dudes outside of Target with rifles. Put your mask on. That's not happening. So like you just...
1: nobody's Nobody has beaten you or killed you because of your beliefs. Yeah. And no one has set your family on fire.
0: Yeah, so that thing irritated me. I just had to address that because we were on that subject. But, oh my God, uh,
1: I can't. I got to remember. I need to know who that is. I will
0: definitely tell you. Um, okay,
1: you're going to have to tell me for sure.
0: <laughs> so on these, i like to end um, on hopefully positive notes. Uh, and I, I ask individuals who their uh, inspirations are for why they got into the specific niche that we're talking about. So for you, we've talked about you being a paramedic, uh, and I'd like to maybe know what maybe life incident or a person or what sort of things, what chain of events happened that led you into pursuing that?
1: Uh, What got me into being an EMS? um, You know, uh, I just, I sucked in college and I figured, hey, this is an easy way out. You know, no, actually, um, really weird chain of events. So, what got me into it is um, so I started doing uh, lifeguarding, okay? And as I was doing lifeguarding, I was like, this is really cool. I really enjoy it. Um, I really enjoy helping people, believe it or not, as much as I don't like people and I think that's in really truly that is the normal for anyone that's in healthcare. It's like, I love helping people, but I hate people. And it's the truth. We just don't like, we're not, we don't like most people. So what really got me, it was like something that inspired me to do it. And then I kind of shrugged my feet. I did it a little bit. And then something actually happened that got me into it full time. Um, So I went off to college and I got into a volunteer fire department while I was in school in Illinois and um, I was wrestling in college and one of the guys on the team was actually from around there and you know I had told him that hey I had a buddy that did this like EMS Explorer program in high school. And he kind of got me to try it and the thought it was cool, but I was like, I don't know what I want to do for a career. And I've got this scholarship in wrestling that I really want to try first. So I got into it there in Illinois and I started doing it and I, and I dug it and I enjoyed it. Um, then I left and joined the Marine Corps. You know, I felt that calling and, um, you know, got out and did some other stuff, but I got on another volunteer fire department and I started doing EMS like part-time. I got my, I went through and got my Indiana EMT numbers and really just, you know, I dug it, but at the same time I was like, ah, this is fun to do. It's a volunteer department and I like helping out, but you know, don't really know if I want to do this for a career or if I want to do this for the rest of my life. And having having had just gotten out of the core, I was starting to fight full time. And this is when I was traveling and fighting MMA all the time. And this is right around. And then I went pro about two years later. And so I was traveling all over the South. Be, there was nowhere to fight up here there was just nowhere so i was fighting in like mississippi new orleans alabama i mean i have been to some of the most hillbilly backwoods places to fight somebody like i fought in a cage in the street uh, outside of a bar um and then i made it like on like two pay-per-views um so i was like jesus and that was like those were like a couple of weeks apart from each other like you could be in a bar one day you can be big time so um as i went further i i really wanted to you know i started feeling like man maybe i want to be more active in this um and then uh a friend of mine mom uh who I grew up with. I grew up with these guys, and she was like a mother to me. And I mean, we wrestled in elementary school, middle school, and high school together, knew them forever. She did the, uh, for wrestlers that know summer wrestling, AAU, and the traveling that's involved, um, she would drive us everywhere. She did, you know, if my mom wasn't doing it to take us to the all ends of the earth she would drive us to these tournaments. You know, you're talking about leaving at like four or five o'clock in the morning to drive somewhere with a bunch of, you know, starving teenage and younger boys being assholes. And she didn't even flinch, man. She was like everybody's mom. And, um, and her name was Cindy camp. And, uh, I got the phone call one day. Um, that, that she had had a massive heart attack while driving home. And her son, Randy, who's the youngest, was in the car with her. And he said, Mom just looked right at me and started kind of like, and just she looked at me and said, Oh, no. And then went out. Like she just saw it coming and went down. And he got the vehicle off the side of the road. And this happened in an area that I actually ended up being the first place that I, uh, that I served as a paid EMT. And uh, the paramedic, I mean, it just kind of sparked me. I was like, you know, you know how it is. You go through those, those uh, I guess that grieving period where you're like, if I would have been there. And then I was like, well, if I would have been there, what the hell would I have done? You know, what what do I know? And I was like, I've had that happen to me several times in my life. And I was like, you know, I'd want to be there to be able to do something, you know, for somebody. I want to be, and I I mean, it was a little bit of cockiness because I was like, well, I would have been able to keep my head and keep my shit together and I can do this. And you know, this person, it wouldn't happen to had I been there. So I decided to kind of put my money where my mouth was. And I didn't want that to ever happen to anybody else that I knew uh, or anyone else's family member for that matter. And that's kind of what pushed me into it full time and got me to take that extra step. And I went forward with it and I've been doing it full time ever since. Yeah, and the, think- oh, and a cool part of the story. I don't, don't mean to cut you off. The cool no, part good. of the story is um, when I was precepting. Um, when I was precepting in that service, the field training officer—it so was my field training officer—was the paramedic that actually went and took care of Cindy, and. Um, we don't remember very many patients, but she remembered her perfectly, and you know that really helped in giving me closure because she could kind of give me the you know the the analytical part that I needed, the medical side that I needed to hear, and that and I and she just kind of was sprung upon me when I first started. <laughs> deciding to go and go to that next step that's what kind of made me feel like all right this this, you should do this so i thought that was cool
0: yeah that it kind of came full circle for you that's yeah it's it's an interesting um story as to how you got into it and it's you see that so many times that good things come out of tragedy um Because, you know, if if you don't do something positive, you can spiral into something bad, I think. So you could have used that in a very negative way, you know, and I think that.
1: Oh, yeah. It was that or cocaine, man. Let me tell you.
0: (laughs) I know that you said you hate hearing it, but I mean, I don't give a shit. I appreciate you. I do. And I appreciate everybody that's doing what you do. And that comes from a place of honesty. And I think you know that. And, um. so I appreciate you taking the time, uh, to sit down and talk with me, man. It, uh, it really is great to see you, dude. Uh, makes me just miss people in general, uh, that, you know, we talked a little bit before the podcast. I'm unable to probably doesn't make sense for me to train jujitsu right now at the, the possibility of death, uh, in all reality. And Mike knew very well what I was talking about, uh, with one of the things that's keeping me off the bat He's like, Oh yeah, that whole death thing. Um, so yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. do miss people yeah. like you, man. And, um, it's great to it see you. doesn't
1: mean you can't come visit though. It doesn't mean the place isn't open and it's not there. <laughs> That's true. I should come there's that a side. There. There's a chessboard set up in the back. I,
0: that would totally be fine. Yeah. Um, you're not wrong. I might do that. Um, but yeah, man, great seeing you. Uh, I hope people uh, enjoy this conversation. I hope maybe some people take some insights out of it uh, and get some unique viewpoints from you, which only people like you can provide. So man, I, I greatly appreciate your time, brother.
1: Oh, man. It was uh, awesome. Glad you had me.
0: Beautiful.